Hello, you're listening to Bricks and Mortar with Sarah Jackman. Today I'm talking to three people from law firm Trows and Hamlins. They are senior partner Sarah Bailey, real estate partner Rebecca Wardle, and real estate solicitor Ugo Ebagaye. The firm has been working recently on a number of initiatives to help improve diversity and social mobility within the sector. And they're joining me today for a look at some of those. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on what I know is a swelteringly hot day. Perhaps you can start by telling me a little bit about the general picture, just in relation to diversity within the property law sector. And just really thinking about the extent to which it mirrors that of the wider real estate sector. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, it's a pleasure to join you. Yeah, I, I think what's been fascinating throughout my career is that uh, while we've always been very proud at Trowers of, of our diversity and having a lot of particularly of women involved in the real estate sector, there is no doubt that it is dependent upon the different areas within the real estate sector as to how far that diversity went. And in the legal profession, I still think you find more men coming through on the commercial real estate side. Um, and it is more acknowledged that it is a, the, the man walking in the room is going to leave the meeting rather than effectively. Actually, in fact, the women are there equally as equals and are, are actually delivering the legal advice. I think it's got better. But again, I do think if you look at where I started from, which was in the housing world, the affordable housing world, there it was not at all surprising to have women sort of representing it. But it was almost regarded as, well, that's because it's a bit softer, when it absolutely isn't. It's no different at all. While where you work across the piece now to the commercial real estate, which, I, which I'm now in, there, when I first started, it was predominantly male, without a doubt. Then I suppose reflecting that back into the wider real estate industry, my first ever MIPM, I will never forget, uh, saying to a client, how will I find you? And he said to me, well, don't you worry, I'll find you. You won't find me. What are you wearing? Which at the time I thought, how rude. And then realised why, because I was saying, well, it's an orange dress. Um, and I stood at the hill looking down uh, onto the corset and you see all these sort of men in pinstripe suits. And he immediately ran me and said, oh, I can see you. It's fine. And the, the sector was incredibly undiverse at that point. Um, and again, I think it is getting better. But it's got a long way to go. So for, for me, this is a it's a, pa- a passion of mine that we just need to get much more diversity um, and diversity of thought across the piece in the real estate world. You mentioned the, the early stages of your career. Are you able to tell us a little bit about how you got started and perhaps some of the barriers that you faced along the way? Yeah, I mean, I, I started obviously as an as a article clerk at Trousers and Hamlins uh, way back in 1990. Um, and actually, probably... I won't say unique because I hate the word because none of us are unique, but certainly highly unusual for those times. Every single boss I had as an article clerk was, was female, which was only in later years I realised how unusual that was. I then went to work for what I was then our head of real estate, and he was somebody who absolutely believed in bringing people on. He took me to every meeting, and it was only when I started, you might say, going out into the real world that I realised I was, I was very much viewed as his bag carrier, very much used as being, oh, well, you know, that's so she just tuttles alongside Jonathan, helping him along. And it was fascinating how, I suppose, the first barrier was me not taking offence at that and actually realising, OK, I can maybe play this to my advantage at times. So I suppose I, I, I turned it to an advantage. And then people, once they got to know you, respected you. And then that, that sort of went through. I've been incredibly lucky in my career that I haven't really had the glass ceiling. I haven't had any blockers. 
even, you know, the days when you had kids, a number of my friends left the law. I never felt I needed to do that. But what I did realise was I was in a very unusual position and it was probably part on me to actually try and change that throughout the legal profession itself, that there, there, there needs to be more of a push that way. So I, I think barriers, not so much for me, but certainly... I suppose barriers in the sense that I could have easily been intimidated not to go further if I'd let the world outside of trowers interfere with that. You mentioned that things obviously are starting to evolve and you've seen progression um, over the years. Tell me a little bit about some of the barriers that you think still remain and, and really how the firm is looking to try and address some of those. Well, I think there are, there are two or three barriers and some of, some of them, um, you know, I've I am not best to speak about because I'm a white middle class woman. But I think there's for women, I think there is still the huge barrier of you are the child bearer fundamentally. And we all try and be perfect at everything. And that is very difficult if you are looking after children, being being the wife, being the mother and, and working. And I don't think a lot of places are equipped to allow the flexibility to see people through that and still harness the real potential. A lot of women still give up at that stage because it's just too hard. So we're working very hard to, to try and make sure that is not the case at Trowers. And we're learning all the time. All the time we have to learn and we have to listen and hear what the issues are. I think the other issue is social mobility. The access to the legal profession is still a very sort of middle class moneyed profession. And we need to spend a lot more time giving access to those people who are not as privileged and making sure that they come through. And that will help diversity in itself, because if you look at society, a lot of your disadvantage are from the black minority ethnic communities. So how do we get people like that um, through the door and actually actually support them and support them through so they become partners of the future, they'll be, they become directors within law firms. So again, and, and we can talk a bit more about that, we're doing a lot in that area as well to try and try and really open those doors so having the different routes in is fundamental to changing the law professions um as the law the law profession how it looks but also for it to be truly diverse and put its money where its mouth is it needs to really support those different routes in you mentioned there just trying to really sort of listen to your employees and try to you know really start to sort of address and hear some of those issues do you find that people are quite willing to come forward with those? I think you've got to create a safe place for people to come forward. I don't think it's as easy as just asking. And you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know how someone's feeling. I think that's the biggest bit I have learned in this job is it's very easy for me to say to somebody, you can trust me, you can speak to me. I'm not going to take offence. I'm not going to hold it against you. But if they've come from a different place, that means nothing to them. So you've actually got to show people that it is a safe place for people to talk to. It is something that they can put their hands up. And I do think, and I knew Gil will probably tell me I'm wrong, but um, I do think the the generation coming through now are far more willing to. They're far more willing to actually say, na 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 na, not happy about that. This is what needs to happen. I want you to actively do this. Um, and I, it's brilliant. And I think that is what the profession needs. It needs that change of voice. And we, who have been through the profession all these years, 30 years, need to listen. We need to get a lot better at listening. It doesn't mean we have to agree about everything, but we do need to listen to understand where that point of view comes from. 
You mentioned some of the initiatives then that Trowers has put into place. Um, one of those I know is the Roots into Real Estate Initiative, which Rebecca, I, I believe you lead on. Um, are you able to tell me a little bit about what sits behind that and, and how that works? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thank you um, for, for asking us to speak about this. So Roots to Real Estate is something that, that we sort of put together probably about sort of three or four years ago now and sort of off the back of what Sarah was saying that, you know, our industry is, is getting better, but there's a long way to go. And this was an initiative that sought to sort of look at ways at which we could help as a legal profession and with others in the sector to break down the barriers into getting into the real estate sector. As Sarah said, you know, we, we, we all look the same, we all sound the same. And actually, it's really important to start having the conversations about how, how we can change that. So the initiative started with um, looking at social mobility. And um, we started with a panel session where we got um, a number of panel experts to come in uh, within the industry to start talking about how the sector could open up and attract a broader range of talent. I think, you know, diversity is an asset for any business. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that we are working within the sector to ensure that we're you know, creating a better place for that talent to grow. So the social mobility um, panel session sort of really opened up some interesting discussion topics, which then we sort of moved on to look at the generations. So we ran a session on how different generations approach real estate and the built environment. The idea being that, you know, we need to look at the future of property, the future of real estate and what, you know, the generations can bring to that. So that was our sort of second session, um, looking at how you how you attract and teach and nurture a more diverse pool of talent. On from that, we started looking at, at other sort of areas to focus on. And, and one of those is was disability. And actually, we we looked at neurodiversity and it's all about sort of bringing together sharing ideas on how we can make our places better places to work in, how we can, again, foster and attract talent and how we can make sure we're, you know, providing an environment that, that works for everybody. And what's the response to that been? It's been really good, actually. Um, obviously, you know, we, we get we get lots of people coming to lots of things we we, we put on. Uh, but this was really, really interesting. We had a massive range of people from sort of very, very junior up to very, very senior. And actually, really, everybody wanted to get involved and talk about it and, you know, talk about what they were doing uh, within their their own environments. And the neurodiversity one was really interesting. We, we linked up with um, JLL to sort of look what they were doing and, and how their sort of networks within their business work. So, um, yeah, I think people are really open to talking about it. And actually, everybody wants to be part of the change because everyone recognises, you know, it's necessary and we have to do that. And tell me a little bit about how you plan to develop that initiative going forward. Um, so what we're, we're looking at sort of next, we're, we're looking at sort of partnering up with um, more organisations because I think we feel that we can do more when we're working together as an industry. So our next joint event is with Youth Build, um, who sort of champion today's youth who aspire to sort of build their lives and, and re to reach their full potential. So we're looking to work with others in the sector. We're following up on all the sort of particular things that we had sessions on and looking at what our next steps are. And Sarah, I know that that's one of a number of initiatives that the firm is looking at. Um, I know that you're also a member of the Care Leavers Council Board. Tell me a little bit about that initiative, which I believe is a, a little bit broader than, than just real estate. 
Yes, it is. I mean, it, it's um, under the banner of the Care Leavers Covenant, which uh, we became an official partner of. It's a programme that's been developed under the Department of Education's Keep on Caring policy. Um, and the aim of it is to improve outcomes for care leavers. So it's young individuals who are leaving care simply do not have the support um, that those those youngsters have if they've got parents or grandparents who are able to actually provide them with that wider family network. So what we're trying to do under the Care Leavers Covenant is provide not, not just money, money is a fundamental, fundamental part of it, but actually support in terms of the ways of the world, you might say, that you, you simply learn by being within a family that they have not been able to learn because they've either been in foster homes, care homes, are released into the world at 16 and are expected to be able to live their lives. So we are supporting at the moment an individual who is an amazing young woman who has gone through and self-funded herself through university uh, with, with some support from her local authority, but not much. She has then, she wants to, she wants to become a lawyer. So we are helping support her to do her master's, which is what she wants to do, but by helping her pay for her living expenses, because if you think about it, they don't have anyone to pay for their living expenses. So while they may get a council flat, they're still going to pay the rent. So how does that work if you're actually studying full time as well? And also being able to provide things like work experience or life advice. Um, one of the th first things that the individual to me was, I just need someone to be able to ask a question of and have an answer that helps me work out what someone would do with in the situation that I just, I just wouldn't have wouldn't have an idea about. So that's that's one, one aim um, of the Care Leaders Covenant. The, the other aim is that we are creating a charitable fund of which I'm a, a, a trustee of, which will be to actually persuade big business to actually put money in as a charitable donation to help these young people coming out of care actually find their way in the business world, the legal world. It could be anywhere. It could be in real estate. It could be a completely different sector, but actually really start looking to see how we can support them. And so, so that for me is it's a fantastic initiative. Um, it's run by some amazing people. And, and it, when you meet some of the people who are benefiting from it, you really can see how transformative it is just having that small bit of support that um, that otherwise they wouldn't get. So so that's fantastic. You mentioned young people having access to, to things like mentoring. I mean, what's the response been amongst Fianna's within the firms getting involved in initiatives like that, where they can offer some support to people, be it in terms of work experience or, or just in terms of general um, commercial and workplace questions? I think we've got men's support actually for it. I have to say people are brilliant about agreeing to mentor people. It's not just through the Care Leavers Covenant, which is very specific, so they, they match you very carefully, but also through the BPF, the British Property Federation, they have, they have a big mentoring scheme, and that is people of similar ages sometimes as well, mentoring each other. So it's 360 mentoring, which is which is really interesting. So I think the, the take-up has been excellent. In terms of the so the larger pitch, like the Care Leavers Covenant, again, I have to say the partnership has been fantastic um, at actually sort of opening the doors to help people. So I don't I think there's a there's a there's a will. It's finding people it's capturing that will. Um, people are very busy. You know, things you say, yes, 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 I'm really happy to do that. And then that sort of gets put in the back burner because your, your day to day life takes over. So it's trying to bring this sort of thing into main, more mainstream day to day life, which I think is the key. I know another initiative that the firm has got underway in the last few years is the apprenticeship scheme. Tell me a little bit about how that's working in practice. 
Yeah, so we've been doing the apprenticeship scheme for, for quite well, in, in various different stages for quite a while now. So we started in around 2018 and we've got different programmes running. So we've got apprenticeships going in terms of business um, admin. We've got marketing apprenticeships going and then we've got the three levels of legal apprenticeships. So that's the Silex Paralegal, where we've got two currently completed and four completed. We've got the Chartered Legal Executive Apprenticeship, the Silex, where we've got eight currently on apprenticeships and one completed. And then we have the Level 7 um, Solicitor Apprenticeship, University of Law, where we have three apprentices doing this. But it's, this is a really new one, and we're doing it through the change in the system. For those, it's, I won't bore you with it because it's very boring if you're not in the law. But um, it, 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 the old way of qualifying as a lawyer has changed. You now do something called the SQE, and this allows the apprenticeship model to be used. So with the, we've got the first of those started late last year. So that's that's in its inception. And it's been really successful, I think. And it's, again, it's a great way of looking at that social mobility challenge and allowing people that different route in. In the same way as real estate has got so many different jobs, so is the legal profession. It's not just about being a lawyer. It is about being, you know, a, a, in the operations team or in the finance team or in the marketing and BD team. And I think it's important that people can see the different opportunities there are out there. And this has been a great way of showing it. Hugo, I know that you've recently completed your training to become a solicitor um, and you qualified, I think, in March this year, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Tell me a little bit about your route into the law and really sort of what appealed to you about sort of journeying um, into the law in that way? I started my journey into law and into property law as a paralegal in a um, a smaller law firm in Winchester actually working in the housing and regeneration team and that kind of was my first insight into what legal practice actually was. I was fresh out of university so this, that was my first venture into practice and I guess as working as paralegal gives you such a great insight into what legal practice actually is. It's great exposure. And I know when I started working as paralegal at Trowers, um, I got to work with all sorts of fee earners right across the, the practice area. So working in private and public sector law as well. And that was what really appealed to me about the paralegal route. It was just the opportunity and the invaluable experience you get being able to work with all sorts of fee earners. Because it's so broad and because you're working with so many different fee earners um, for a prolonged period of time, it's really such um, an, ex an experience that you wouldn't really get if you went through a different route, I think. And now that I've qualified and kind of looking back on my route in, I wouldn't change it. I think it's just been an excellent way to know that this was what I wanted to do. And as you say, I qualified in March into the real estate team and it's a really exciting time to be um, starting off my legal career. So you, you had that experience as a paralegal first. How did you then um, attain the qualifications to become a solicitor? So I applied for a training contract at Trowers through the paralegal route. So it's essentially the same as what an external applicant would do, but I didn't have to do a vacation scheme or an assessment centre day. I just needed to do an interview and have the backing of my department. So I guess all of the work that I would have done across the year or so that I was in the department was what was, I guess, in an initial interview. <laughs> So that's how that went about. And then I started my training contract in March 2020. 
And I actually did two seats in the real estate department, one with more of a commercial property focus and the other one was, I guess, um, housing uh, based. Um, and it was great. The two different seats were both really good and really, really different as well, which is great. And I think it's a really good opportunity at Trowers that you get to do multiple real estate seats in your training contract because the work is so diverse. So Sarah, you, you clearly have some strong initiatives underway and you know multiple opportunities there to support people and, and get people into real estate. Tell me a little bit about how you plan to develop some of these initiatives going forward. Well, we, I mean, I think the couple we, we spoke about today are just sort of the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we're doing. We are an affiliate member, for example, of Aspiring Solicitors, uh, and that organisation is primary aim is to increase diversity in the legal profession by helping members secure vacation schemes and training contracts. Um, and as part of that, you know, we, we host events, we open open days for them. Um, in 2020, 24 of our 36 trainees recruited were aspiring solicitor members, which is 67%, which is fantastic. And that's one of the things that we really, really wanted to achieve once we started this. If you then look sort of in, in, in more recent times, we're looking at, we've got Black Talent in Law, we've got Black Lawyers Matter, where we're partnering with Stephen James Partnership, which is a Black-owned recruitment business. And this is on a, a direct result of trying to tackle the fact that we just do not have enough diversity of ethnic diversity within the profession. And we, we want to compare ourselves to society, not with our fellow law firms. So we're reaching out in, in a slightly different way. One of the things that we've done very recently, uh, which some of the firms have as well, is what we call rare recruitment, which is a contextualised recruitment tool. And that is deliberately there to aim to recruit candidates from the widest possible talent pool. And we've been involved in a number of outreach programmes, mentoring, networking events. And we introduced a contextual recruitment system recently, which allowed us to identify the most disadvantaged candidates and those candidates who outperform their school by the greatest amount, which is really fascinating when you look at that. And that system creates flags which measure sort of the disadvantage and calculates the performance index as to where they are, they're sitting that performance index. And I can hand on heart say that the calibre of people we have had through the door using that system has been amazing. But they would not probably have gone through the door in the normal recruitment process before this sort of thing came in. So uh, things like that, we're, we're pushing ourselves all the time as a firm to try and make sure that we're, we're sort of ahead of the game. We're also a founding member of a Social Welfare Solicitors Qualifying Fund. So that is a part of a group of city law firms where we're funding the training of more than 20 firing solicitors this year to create the next generation of social welfare lawyers. I mean, the, the social welfare part of the other league profession is absolutely decimated. It's just so difficult um, to become a lawyer in that area because you just can't get funding and the firms aren't doing it. So legal aid you know, is virtually non-existent. So it's really important that, that in order to allow access to, to justice for, for more people, the firms like ourselves, again, put our money where our mouth is and actually start sort of funding some of this to make sure that we can actually push push that through. So it's, it's things like that that we're trying to do. And um, we've got lots of other initiatives that no doubt we'll be boring you all with at a later point. But it, I think the thing for me, a senior partner at Trowers, is it's not enough just to talk about it. You have to actually do it. So we will be measuring ourselves against targets that we want to. We want to be very clear about what our targets are. We want to be very transparent about what our targets are and we want to measure ourselves against it. And like I say, we're not measuring ourselves against 
our fellow legal firms, we're measuring ourselves against the outside world. And to do that, we have to do more and more of these initiatives. I mean, you need to get that out wider and wider than the legal profession. It needs to go right through the real estate industry. Sarah, Rebecca, Hugo, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you all and, and just understanding a little bit about what you're doing in this space. Thank you. Thank you. That was Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on developing a career in real estate, see the archive of the Bricks and Mortar series at popbean.com and the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.